0: Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter four. Moses answered, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you? The Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground, he said. So Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of the ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. In addition, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased, resembling snow. Put your hand back inside your cloak, he said. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it had again become like the rest of his skin. If they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, they may believe that evidence of the second sign. And if they don't believe even though even these two signs or listen to what you say, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently, or since you have been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. The Lord said to him, Who placed the mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? It is not I, the Lord. Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Moses said, Please, Lord, send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, Isn't Aaron, the Levite, your brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, he is on his way now to meet you. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help both you and him to speak and will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will serve as a mouth for you, and you will serve as God to him. And take this staff in your hand that you will perform the signs with him. Then Moses went back to his father-in-law, Jethro, and said to him, "'Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt and see if they are still living.'" Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now in Midian the Lord told Moses, Return to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took God's staff in his hand. The Lord instructed Moses, When you go back to Egypt, make sure you do, before Pharaoh all the wonders I have put within your power but I will harden this heart so that he won't let people go. And if you will say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go. Look, I am about to kill your firstborn son. On the trip at an overnight campsite, it happened that the Lord confronted him and intended to put him to death. So Zephora took a flint, cut off her, first, her son's foreskin, threw it on Moses' feet, and said, You are a bridegroom of blood, of blood to me. So he let him alone. And, then, and that time she said, You are a bridegroom of blood, referring to the circumcision. Now the Lord had said to Aaron, Go and meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say and all about the signs he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the Israelites. Aaron repeated everything the Lord had said to Moses and performed the signs before the people. The people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had paid attention to them and that he had seen their misery, they knelt low and worshiped. May God bless the reading of his word.
1: Thanks. Amen. Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, uh, maybe you're new. My name is Pastor Caleb, and I am an elder here at Reconcile. Um, me and my family have been going to Reconcile for um, at least three years. I don't really remember how long we've been here, um, And yeah, I'm going to be preaching this morning. I'm excited to share the word with you. We are in a series called Moses, the man of God. We're going through uh, snippets of the life of Moses. And so we're in Exodus chapter four this morning. And the, the thrust of our series is that Moses, the man of God, points us to Jesus, the son of God. And so this morning, we're going to see how Moses is pointing us to Jesus. By a show of hands, who thinks that reading the Old Testament can be difficult sometimes? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, sometimes reading the Old Testament is difficult, and it's confusing. You read a passage, you're like, what is this saying? What is going on here? Because we don't live in that context. It's, it's hard to understand sometimes. But there's a, uh, there's a way that you can read the Old Testament. Here, here's a, a point, a pointer for you, for reading the Old Testament. Look for how it could be pointed to Jesus. All of the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus in some way or another. So when you're reading the Old Testament and you come to a passage that you're confused about, that you might not understand. Think about how could this be pointing me forward to Jesus? We have a tendency when we're reading the scriptures to insert insert ourselves into the stories. So like, let's say we we see the story of Moses and we think, "Okay, so we're Moses and he's doing this thing." And so what would what should we do? But In reality, the Old Testament and all these characters, they're pointing us forward to Jesus. It's not necessarily about us. It's about Jesus. And so that's a helpful tip when you're reading the Old Testament and you find something confusing. So this morning, we are going to see that Jesus is the greater Moses who delivers his people because Jesus was a willing deliverer. He was willing to sacrifice himself to deliver his people. And Jesus was also a holy deliverer, that Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law to deliver his people. Let's pray. Lord, I need your strength this morning. You promise in your word that when we are weak, then we are strong by your spirit. And so I pray that um, my weakness would be on full display this morning, so that you would be glorified, and that you would be lifted high in this place. Lord, give me the words to speak. Fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we can understand what you would have us to do this morning, and that we would be empowered to obey you. Lord, we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing that we see in this text is that Moses was unwilling to go back to Egypt to deliver his people from bondage. So you could kind of title him Moses, the unwilling deliverer. He was unwilling to go deliver. His people. Look at verse 1. It says, Moses answered, What if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say the Lord did not appear to you? And then the Lord answers him. And then verse 10, he says, Moses replies to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent either in the past or recently or even while you're speaking to your servant now because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. Then the Lord answers him again. And the third time in verse 13, Moses says, Please, Lord, send someone else. So God had set out a mission for Moses. He had presented this mission to deliver his people from Egypt. And Moses' first response is, I don't want to do that. That sounds difficult. And I can relate to Moses here. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where God is calling you to do something and you think about the task that is lying ahead? You're like, that's going to be hard. I don't think I can do that. That's going to be too much for me. I can relate to Moses. And and if you look at the background of what's happening in this passage, he had tried to deliver the Israelites before. If you remember back in chapter 2, I think it was, Moses had tried to deliver the Israelites. And in the process, he had killed an Egyptian. And then the Pharaoh had wanted to kill him. And then even the Israelites who he was trying to deliver, they said, you're not our leader. Who set you up as a leader over us? We don't want to follow you. And so that failure was probably in the back of his mind. And he's thinking, I tried it before. It didn't really work. I, I do not want to do this. Yeah, let me encourage you this morning. Even if you have a messy past, even if you have a, a broken history, like Moses was a murderer. Even if you have a broken past, God can use you in the present. God can use you right now to accomplish his purpose if you would submit to him. You're not too broken for God to use you. And and even though Moses is unwilling at first to obey, God is still patient with Moses. Three times Moses says, I don't want to do that. And God answers him every single time. Moses brings his doubt to God, and God responds three different times to Moses. He's gracious, and he is patient, and he, he goes alongside Moses. Sometimes when we have doubts or when we have confusion, we, we run away from God, and we run away from his people. We isolate. We like to go off on our own. We say, I'm going to figure this out myself. And so maybe you go on a, a YouTube channel, Rabbit trail, maybe you go into a deep dive in some podcasts or something like that. But we don't go to God, the one who can actually answer the questions that we have, the one who can give us comfort in the midst of confusion. We need to go to God with our doubts and we need to go to his people. And often when we go off by ourselves to try to find the answers, we come to conclusions that are just too simple. We, we don't get a full, complete picture. Like, like, we might ask the question, why is there racism in the world? Why are people racist? And then you might, if you go off on your own, you might come to the conclusion that, well, maybe just all white people are racist. Maybe that's the answer. Or, if you, if you look at the Old Testament, you're like, the Old Testament is confusing, I don't really understand it. You might come to the conclusion on your own that, well, this means it's not really relevant for my life. So I I shouldn't read the Old Testament because it's confusing. It doesn't make sense to me. When we have doubts or we are confused about something, we need to go to God with those doubts and with that confusion. Because he is patient with us. He, He is so gracious to listen to us and to give us comfort. And he answers us. Like it's hard to have a relationship with someone when you're not honest with them when you when someone offends you and you don't go to that person to tell them like hey i was offended by this or i was hurt by that what kind of a relationship is that, that that's not a relationship when we are honest with god about difficulties that we're going through about doubts that we have about confusion about where we should go that grows our faith If you read the Psalms, the Psalms are just full of people asking God hard questions. Like everything in the Bible is not good coffee cup material. You know, like you get the coffee mugs with the, with the little scriptures on them. Every verse in the Bible is not good to put on a coffee mug. It's Psalms 13 it says, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. How long will my enemies dominate me? The psalmist here is being honest with God. He's saying, I am having struggles. I feel like you've left me. I feel like you're not with me. Where have you gone? Will you come and show your face to me? We need to be honest with God with our doubts. Because he will show himself faithful to us. He will answer us when we call on him. The scriptures promise that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. He's not afraid of our questions. And so Moses questions God three times. Three times, God answers. And in one of the answers, God gives Moses three signs He gives him three signs to encourage his faith, to build him up. And these signs, God said, were given so that people would believe that Moses had been with God. They were validation that the words that Moses was saying to the people were true. Moses wasn't just saying stuff that he had made up on his own, but God had come and spoken to Moses, and Moses was going to speak to the people. And the signs were given as validation that, hey, I'm not speaking my words, I'm speaking God's words to you. That when I'm speaking, you need to pay attention because there's signs that accompany this. It reminds me of the life of Jesus. That when Jesus was on the earth, he was not He was speaking, he was making claims that he was God. He was making claims that he was the only way. And he backed up those claims through signs. That Jesus was performing miracles. He was casting out demons. He was doing all of these things to validate the claims that he was making. And the ultimate sign that he gave was his resurrection. Right? That was the ultimate validation that what he was saying was true. Because they killed him and they thought, we did it. He's gone. He's out of the way. That liar is gone. But Jesus wasn't lying. He was speaking the truth and God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. The signs were given to point us to the reality of what the words that he was speaking. And signs are still given today. That we have signs happening all around the world. That point to the truth of the words that we speak. The words that Jesus is King. That Jesus is Lord. Jesus has authority over creation. That God has created everything and therefore He is in charge of how things work. And He can control things however He wants to. However He pleases. If you read the book of Acts, it's, it's... It's telling the story of the growth and the spread of the church. And the growth and the spread of the church was accompanied by signs. The apostles were performing signs and wonders, casting out demons. And all of this was to validate the things that they were saying. That Jesus is Lord. That Jesus rose from the dead. That Jesus has power to forgive you of your sins. um, There was a church father who was writing an argument for... The resurrection of Jesus. And he was, he was making this argument. He was saying, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then how are we casting out all these demons? And this was an argument to non-believers. Like The reason signs are there is to prove that the words that we are saying is true. And it builds our faith. It gives us the confidence to say, I know that what I'm saying is true because I've seen the power of God at work in people. I have seen God perform things that no one can explain. Amen. But the signs point to Jesus. They're given for a reason. They're not, they're not the end of themselves. In, in Matthew 12, Jesus was... Um, he was, he was correcting some of the Pharisees. It says, then some of the scribes and the Pharisees came to him. They said, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered them, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is rebuking the people because they didn't care about him. They didn't care about the words that he was saying. They just wanted the sign. They just wanted the miracles. And another time, Jesus rebukes people in John 6 because they only wanted to receive his bread. He said, I'm the bread of life. The reason I'm giving you bread is to point to the truth that I am the bread of life. If you don't want me, then you don't need my bread. The signs point to Jesus. We can't take one or the other. We need to submit to him. And then God gives Moses, Aaron, as a helper. He says, it says in verse 14, isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And then again in, in verse 16, he says, he will speak to the people for you. He will serve as a mouth for you. So even in Moses' weakness, that he, he, he probably had some sort of speech problem where he couldn't speak well. Even in his weakness that he had tried to deliver the Israelites once before and it didn't work out. Even in his weakness that he really didn't want to do that because he was afraid of what it would cost him. God was patient with him. He, he walked alongside him. He answered him. He gave him a sign and then he provided Aaron as a helper to accomplish the mission that God had for Moses. God gives us support to accomplish what He has called us to do. If God has called you to do something and you're looking at the task that's in front of you and you say, How in the world am I going to do this? How is this going to happen? God will provide the means. He always provides the means for what He has called you to do. And He does that primarily through the church. If you are a part of a church, if you are in community with a local church, that's how God provides the means. That we can encourage one another, that we can spur each other on to good works, that we can provide financially for one another if we need to. Whatever we need, God provides for us in the church to accomplish the mission that he has. And this is why the church is important. The church is not an afterthought to the mission of God. God doesn't have a mission and then the church kind of distracts from it and it's, it's okay, it's over here. No, God has a mission to accomplish and he accomplishes it primarily through the church that when we are part of a local body of a church, we are joining in the mission of God. And just so Moses was an unwilling deliverer, eventually he did deliver the people. Jesus, on the other hand, is the willing deliverer who suffered to the the point of death to deliver his people. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he was praying, he said, Lord, if there's any other way, let it be that. Let this cup pass from me, but not my will let your will be done. Jesus was willing to submit to God's plan to the point of death. That he, he, he said in John 10, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down willingly on my own. No one was forcing Jesus to do that. He willingly pursued us. He left the riches of heaven to come to earth, to put on flesh, to experience limits for the first time in his life. He did all of that to deliver us from the bondage to slavery, to bondage to sin, to the slavery to death that we have. He did it willingly. He was a willing, willing deliverer. We were in bondage to sin, just like Israel was in slavery to Egypt, and he came in to our world and set us free and delivered us. And it cost him something. It cost him everything. He suffered to the point of death on a cross. So that we could be delivered. So that we could have freedom to worship him. That we could experience his presence. So as Moses begins to obey and begins to follow in verse 18 through 23. God continues to reveal his plan as Moses obeys. It's not like Moses knew the entire plan before he started to obey. He didn't know every detail would work out. He started to obey, and then as he went along, the Lord revealed more and more and more to him. But God already knew how the entire story would work before it ever started. Y'all, this can give us confidence when we don't know if when we don't know if something is going to work out, if we are trying to follow the Lord and live in his mission, and we're like, I don't know if the mission is going to work. I don't, I don't know if, 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 people, if people in Welcome are going to be saved. I don't know. God knows. He has a plan. He He has a mission that he is going to accomplish. And so we can go with boldness. We can go confidently saying, I don't know how this is going to work out. But the Lord has a plan. He knows how this is going to work out. And he has called me to go, so I am going to go. And then at the end of, of verses 22 to 23, he says, You will say to Moses, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. I told you, let my son go, so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. Look, I am about to kill your firstborn son. Y'all, when I first read that, I was like, Whew, that's not light. But it shows us that sin is real the wages of sin is death. That sin has generational consequences. The things that we do don't just affect us. A lot of times we like to think that when when I'm sinning on my own, that I'm not affecting anybody else. That no one else is getting hurt by this. Sin always has consequences for other people. Sin always affects the people around us. And there's generational consequences to sin. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh wasn't innocent. He, a couple chapters ago, we were reading about how Pharaoh was killing all of the male children of the Israelites. The Bible says you will reap what you sow. If you are sowing into death, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. And so God is just. And Pharaoh was punished. And then Moses, we see here through verses 24 through 26, that Moses needed to consecrate himself to lead God's people. Consecrate just means set himself apart to be holy. Verses 24 through 26. On the trip at an overnight campsite, it happened that the Lord confronted him and intended to put him to death. So Zipporah took a flint, he cut, she cut off her son's foreskin, threw it at Moses' feet and said, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. At that time she said, you are a bridegroom of, bridegroom of blood, referring to the circumcision. So what's going on here? When I first read this, I was like, what in the world? What? All right, Moses, Moses was following God's commands, right? He was going to go to, Israel, go to Egypt to deliver the Israelites like God had commanded. But God had commanded something Before that, when God had made a covenant with Abraham and the Israelites as a nation, he made a covenant that they would be his people, that he would be their God, and that they would circumcise themselves as a sign of that covenant. That that's the way they said, we are God's people. That's how you knew that they were God's people. That's how they identified themselves as the people of God. And Moses had not done this to his children so Moses is going to lead the people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, but he was not identifying with the people that he was going to lead out of Egypt. The very reason God wanted them out of Egypt was so that they could be his nation, that they could be his people and represent him to the world. And Moses had not done the sign that signifies that. I was reading a commentary. There was a couple different reasons maybe why he hadn't done this. Maybe it could have been a social pressure that uh, his wife didn't like the idea of that. That that wasn't in her culture. She didn't want to do that. So that could have been a reason. It could have been that when he was growing up in Egypt, Egyptians didn't do that. And so maybe his cultural background was like, oh, we don't do that. Or maybe the social pressure of his wife was like, oh, we don't do, I don't want to do that. Let's not do that. No matter where we come from or who around us is telling us to do something a certain way, we need to follow God first. If God has given us a command no matter what the cost socially is, we need to follow him. We need to live in obedience. And sometimes following God's law will cost us either socially or culturally. Maybe we'll do something that, that the culture says, mm, that's weird. I don't, don't do that. But we need to follow God first. And we need to identify with God's people. This is why it's important that we be in a local church, that we be partners in a church or members in a church, that we be committed to serving in a church, because we need to be identified with God's people. And it reminds us that obedience is better than sacrifice. In, the, in, in 1 Samuel, um, Samuel the prophet, he was talking to King Saul. King Saul had not obeyed God's command. God had given him a command. He, he disobeyed, but then he was giving a sacrifice to God. And, and the prophet says to Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. God doesn't want your sacrifices if you're not obeying the things that he has already told you to do. And in Romans 12, it says that the sacrifice we present to God is our obedience to his commands. It says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, because this is our true worship. Our obedience is the sacrifice. So Jesus, Jesus is better than Moses because he is a holy deliverer. He is a deliverer who has followed all of the commands that God has given him. He's fulfilled all the requirements. And Jesus came face to face with temptation in in, in the wilderness. He had fasted for 40 days And Satan came to tempt him. But he was victorious over sin. He never once disobeyed God. He he was so perfect that he could say, I never do anything that I don't see the Father doing. I don't say anything that I don't hear the Father saying. Whatever God says to do, whatever God does, that's what I do. And he was not only holy and perfect, but he chose to identify with us, even though he was not like us. Right? He was perfect, we were not. He was sinless, we were sinful. But God, but Jesus came, he chose to identify with us through the incarnation that he would put on flesh, that he would look like us, that he chose to identify us by being baptized. He didn't need to be baptized. He was perfect. He didn't need to repent for anything. But he was baptized to identify with us. And he identified with us on the cross. That he would die like a criminal, even though he was sinless. He died so that we could be brought into his family, that we could be adopted, that we could be declared blameless even though we are not. So what is this passage calling us to do? I think there's two things that it's calling us to do. The first thing is that we need to be willing to sacrifice for God's mission. That when God is calling us to do something, we need to be willing to obey, willing to go forward and do what he has called us to do. And God's mission is primarily played out through the church. That's the means that he chooses to use. And so if you are not part of a local church, if you have not committed yourself through partnership, membership, whatever your church wants to call it, then you need to do that. Just like Jesus left heaven to pursue us, we need to get out of our comfort zones to pursue pursue people in this community. Jesus loved us enough that he came, he left heaven and he came to us. He came into the place where we were living. And so we need to get out and go to where the people are. Then we need to share the message with them that they're not, we're not waiting for them to come to us. We need to go to them, pursue them like Jesus pursued us. The second thing is that we need to be consecrated, that we need to be holy, we need to be set apart. Maybe you are, this is more of me, I like to sacrifice, I like to serve people, I like to do a lot of stuff, but sometimes my life is not right. Sometimes I'm worried about all the things that are happening out here, but my soul is in turmoil. That I'm living, I'm living in disobedience in some areas, but I'm like, it's okay because I'm doing all of these good things out here. If that's you this morning, you need to repent. You need to live in obedience to God first. That is your primary sacrifice. That's the primary way that we sacrifice for God, by living in obedience to what He has called us to do. And then we can worry about going out and serving, doing all these things outside of us. But we need to get ourselves right first. We need to repent. And we need to put our trust in Jesus. We need to follow Him. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that... Lord, thank you that you are gracious, that even though sometimes we are unwilling to follow you, that we are unwilling to sacrifice, you were willing to leave the riches of heaven to come to put on flesh and live the perfect life and die on the cross in our place so that we could have freedom, that we could have life, that we would be able to experience your presence. Experience a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that that we would not let that waste. That we we would go in your presence. We would seek you. Lord, help us to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.